Hi there, this is Pastor Ty, the Associate Pastor at Chippewa United Methodist Church, and I'm glad that you're here with us. This podcast today comes from our Bible study series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. So here we go, chapter two. All right. So last week, we just opened up with uh, some basic things about the church here in Philippi that this letter was received to, probably about 50 to 100 people um, that are a part of this little church here. And Paul had uh, been with them on two different occasions, uh, on a first missionary journey and then a second missionary journey. The, The first one got him into some trouble. The first one is where he was able to spend a little time with them. So here we are probably like six, eight years later, and Paul finds himself now in Rome um, and imprisoned. So one of the big things about this letter is joy. We're going to find joy at least 14 times. Um, I've started to to uh, put a little square around every instance where I'm seeing that either joy or rejoice or glad. Um, but joy is a big thing that, that we find here in this letter. And so we spent our, our time last week on chapter 1. Um, recognizing that Paul has a great affection for these people and um, just really encouraging them again that that this life is not an easy one, um, that they are to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, that they are citizens of heaven, not merely citizens of Philippi, and by virtue of that, citizens of Rome. So now, as we look at the beginning of chapter two, we're really going to get into a a lot of meaty stuff. It's, yeah, it's pretty exciting. So like last week, I'm just going to read. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, Just we'll read verses, um, and as as we go through them, we'll discuss them. And if there's something that pops out at you, just let, just, just let it go. Let us, let us hear it, and uh, we'll have some discussion about it. I know that there was at least one question from last week that we are definitely going to cover. I think there was a second one, but I couldn't remember what it was. So, but anyways, we're going to get to kenosis here in, this, in, a, in a few minutes. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, then verse 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So let's stop there. Um, So here Paul is saying that he's calling everyone to unity. Unity is the big thing. Uh, here in this in this chapter unity in a couple of different ways though right there in the first verse first unity in Christ right if any encouragement if any encouragement uh, NIV I think says being united with Christ right if there is any encouragement with being being with Christ then in love um, being united in love and this is, this is a kind of a love that is a victory of the will. This is something that goes beyond just having an affection for someone, but is very uh, cl- 
close. Like this is, you are going to be intentional about the love that you have. This is that first Corinthians 13 kind of love, not the, I'm marrying my best friend and everything will be perfect and lovely kind of love. <laughs> but when you really look at first Corinthians 13, it is the kind selfless, you know, not rude, not keeping score. It is, so, yeah, this is the tough one. <laughs> this is the real one. Then he also says we're going to be united in the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, um, and also of compassion and mercy for one another. And if we are, uh, so there's four different ways that we are experiencing and exhibiting that unity, but also it is for Paul's joy. If, if you are going to be able to do any of these things, it's also going to be to make my joy complete. That we would be united, that we would be like-minded even. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, by being like-minded. Um, that is the purpose. That is what this is all about. So then verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I found it interesting in two different commentaries, so two different people that wrote on Philippians um, made reference to a similar experience, a similar understanding. Um, we can invite people to join a club with us and know that they will be like-minded, right? Oh, you, you like this? Oh, so do I. We are like-minded in this. This is wonderful. We're going to have a great time together because we're going to talk about our love of quilting and all of the different ways that it can be done and the different styles and, oh, isn't life wonderful? But that is not what Paul is talking about. You know, life in Christ means all people. And so it's more like our family. Maybe your nuclear family is very close, but uh, I would venture to guess that as a nuclear family adds family members, especially through marriage, things aren't always easy, <laughs> right? You're still family, but the things that you had always done aren't as easy to do, right? Yeah. Yes, that humility, and, and we'll pick up on the humility um, further down in the Christ hymn, and also in talking about Epaphroditus, 
uh, Paul's really trying to make a case for Epaphroditus, that he is not some kind of, he, he is not one who has been humiliated, um, but is one that you need to see as someone who has, who needs to be received with joy because of what he's been through and what he's done. Yeah. Yeah. So that humility gets tied in there too. Yeah. Huh. It's, I think it's easy, too, to just uh, read over, like, verse, thir- verse 3 there, um, selfish ambition, conceit, um, and it can be easy sometimes, depending on what's happening around you or what's going on in your life, thinking about people, like, like things pop into our minds a little too quickly. Uh, one of the things that one of the uh, commentators said was, you know, it's not church until there's someone in your midst that you have to work at loving. It's not really church until there's some level of conflict because it is, it is in those times that you are diligently praying for a person even if they're one that you struggle with, you know. Yes, it absolutely, it is so hard to pray for our enemies. And when you perceive someone to be working out of selfish ambition, uh, that can be something that's hard to overcome as well. You know, the funny thing is, is God uses those relationships mm-hmm. uh, for his purposes. Yeah. There, ha- uh, there was a, a, a faculty member that just, I get along with everybody, I do, I mean, that's, but there were some definite personality traits sure. there. It really graded on, it just, it was really tough. Do you know that through the course of whatever, we were on all these committees together. I had to sit next to her. I had everything. I was always there. Yep. I had to either agree. I just, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Mm-hmm. Or I would just, it had been so frustrated, but I had to laugh. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I, I kind of shed. Now, did she change? No, I did. Yeah, and that and that's the whole point that it's not about changing someone else. It's about knowing that that allowing yourself to be transformed by Christ. So let's now get into um the, what what is called the Christ hymn or also the kenosis hymn. So last week, um, Linda mentioned that in the Bible that she had with her, it referred to this little segment here, verses about 5 through 11, depending on um, how it's marked in your translation, as the kenosis. And so, <laughs> so she did a little study. I did some study, of course, too, as we were get, as preparing for this. But so kenosis is, is the uh, Greek word that is found in verse 7, where it says that, that Christ emptied himself or made himself nothing, right? Those are, the, uh, those are probably the most common translations of that. Um, mine says here that he emptied himself. And and that um, word in the Greek is kenosis. So it's this idea of self-emptying, of, um, of becoming powerless, or being emptied of significance. So that is 
that's where kenosis comes from. Um, but then more generally then about this little segment is that, you know, there's a couple of different ideas about where these words came from. Is Paul using a hymn that is known to people? Is Paul using words that were used in, in communion, in sharing in the Lord's Supper that people would have shared in together, that this would have just been words that they were very familiar with? Or is it something that Paul created, that Paul just designed and wrote out? Um, it is, it's, Paul creating it is less likely. It's, it's I think, more generally assumed that this is from um, another location, but just something that had not been uh, recorded anywhere else in our in our um, scriptures. So that, and then it's also um, believed that verse eleven was added by Paul, and we'll get to some of that here in a moment. So then, as we continue reading verse five. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Um, the NIV says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, have the same mindset. So there is this attitude, there is this understanding that this is how we behave, this is who we are. So verse 6, who, Christ Jesus then, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Um, so I want to mention that here in verse 6, and we'll see it again in verse 7, the word for form that is used in the Greek is morpha, and it means very essence. So he is saying, uh, you know, and this is part of where we get part of our confessions, especially the Nicene Creed, um, but Christ, who existing in the form of God, the very essence of who God is, that is Jesus. But he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, so he's not going to use that to his advantage um, to make things easy, right? Verse 7, instead he emptied himself, that's that kenosis, by assuming the form, morph, of a servant. So now he is taking the very essence of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So here, this is where we have, you know, this is the definition. This is where we get that God, uh, that Jesus is God and man. Took taking on both of those essence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a really great hot 
point to highlight too. He wasn't submissive and a servant to the will of people. He was submissive to the will of God. Yeah, he knew the master that he was serving. He knew the one he was serving. Um, so then right at the end there, verse 7, it might be at the end of verse 7. It depends on the translation, whether it's the last line of verse 7 or, or if it's included in verse 8. Um, but then it says, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so I want, so here on this slide too, there at the, whether, where, however it is in your translation, if it's the end of verse 7 or the beginning of verse 8, but in that sentence, um, Shema also is a, is a Greek word for form, but it's a changing and growing form. So like, like infant, child, adolescent, youth, it, you're the same person, but your form changes, it grows, right? And so, so your morph, your essence has not changed, but your shema, your form, your outward appearance, those things, you know, your mind is able to grow and learn. So, um, so and when he had come as a man, that is the form that is being used there. He came because we know the story. He came as an infant. And his, so his essence did not change, but his form, but his form did. Yeah. But he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then 11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, so here through, through humility, and the cross, Christ brings this liberation then. This liberation for all people. And that this name, at, at this name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Um, you know, like yesterday, Pastor Allen's sermon, he was talking about, right, Jesus is, uh, he, has, he had gone away, but he will come. He is coming. And so when, when that coming happens, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, and so this, those four words, Jesus Christ is Lord, is, is a confession of faith, is the very first basic creed that was used then by early Christians. Um, um, in, in Islam, their confession is there is no God, but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. There it is. In Judaism, it's the Shema there in Deuteronomy six, hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That is their confession. That is what they declare in Christianity. Jesus Christ is Lord. And remember last week we talked about how Lord was used by, Nero would use that, emperors would use Lord. They're the ones who have been anointed. They have this power. Um, and everyone is to look to them as, as God, as Lord, as King. And here again, Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Paul saying, remember that this is the Lord you are to be, to be surrendered to. This is the one who has all authority and power. This is the one who is the owner of all life. This Jesus is Lord. This is the one. Yeah, I love the, the creedal element to that. Yeah. There was, I, I had written a, a quote too, I don't have it up there, but um, I was looking at a William Barclay's um, commentary, and he, he has a quote where he says, Self, selfishness, self-seeking, and self-display destroy our likeness to Christ and our fellowship with each other. You know, that of everything that we've just, shared and read here in those first 11 verses that that need for unity that we would not be self-ambitious or self-seeking that we need to look to the uh, to others taking that that very essence of a slave that is what allows us to be united in christ but but anytime we fall into the selfishness and self-seeking and self-display, it's destroying not only our likeness with Christ, but our unity with one another. I really like that. So then uh, Paul goes on in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out is um, to complete or to finish. Some of us in a translation might say finish. You know what mine explains? It says in Greek, uh, to work out. Doesn't mean you're trying to work out your own salvation on no. your own because you can't do this. Yeah. Correct. But what it refers to is apparently in the Greek form. To work out describes those who work in the mind. They mined out of the ground what the Creator had placed there and then brought those riches to light. And it says the work of God delivers the gift of salvation. But in other words, it's yeah. mining out, you know, mm-hmm. out which God has given. Yes, because there in verse 13, it goes on to say, for it is God who is working in you. So God is doing the work in you that you then, like in that illustration, are working out, are mining, are bringing to completion that you're finishing the work. He's the one who started it, and you get to be a part of the process there. Yeah. So continuing with that verse, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. That work um, at the second part of that verse is the, is the effective action. It's an action that is going to take, it's taking place. It's, you don't need to worry about it happening. It's, it's being done. <laughs> it's continually being done. Um, it is fully effective. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Um, the, that arguing is that legal sense, like you don't need to take some legal action. You don't, we're, not, we're not taking people to court. We're not being judged on things. Mm-mm. We're not doing that. Do everything without 
grumbling and arguing and the, the grumbling is also a murmuring just those undercurrents right it's talking all all those things and just being that unsettled undercurrent that doesn't allow things yeah yeah we're not doing that <laughs> so that he says you may be blameless and pure blameless uh which we can only be by the work of God through grace, blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Um, so even then, right, surrounded by people in in Philippi, wherever they found themselves, you know, that was the, it was a Roman province. All of those Roman soldiers who re retired, they were all living there. This is not the place <laughs> that's going to be easy for you to live this out because you are surrounded um, by a crooked and perverted generation among whom then you shine like stars in the world. Verse 16, by holding firm to the word of life. So that so the being blameless, the way you're, you're working out your salvation, the way you are, are dealing with things without grumbling, without arguing, allows you to shine like stars in the sky. Because you're holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. And that, um, that was neat too, because this refers to, uh, like essentially running a marathon, running to utter exhaustion to the point of exhaustion. This was referencing like, like the way the Olympic games were already, already happening in these places in Corinth and Philippi were a couple of the places where big Olympic games had taken place. That's the running he was talking about. It's not just going out for a little jog or whatever you feel like it. It is the constant, enduring, utter exhaustion, pouring everything into. Um, that's, did you, have you seen, I don't know if you've seen, there was an Ironman recently down in Florida, just like, like two days ago now, I think. And um, the first person uh, with Down syndrome is an Ironman. And it was, it was incredible. They, I saw a clip of like the last like 30 minutes. I didn't watch the whole 30 minutes. I was like skipping through. But of the last 30 minutes of the run, of the last leg of the run before he crossed the finish line. And when you cross the finish line in an Ironman, it is declared, they say the person's name, you are an Ironman. And what a neat thing. What a neat thing to be able to witness. And uh, he, but he had a guide you know, and so for that run, he was tethered, and that guy just kept the pace, you know, they knew what he was able to do, and there he finished that. Chris, you are an Iron Man. Incredible, incredible, but that is, he's like, ah, I'm going to do this, but, but I will be able to say, I'll be able to boast on that day, that with all that I've done, all of that run, it will not have been in vain. And then 17, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, 
I am glad. That's one of the uh, examples of joy. I am glad and rejoice. I'm really sorry. I thought I muted that. That's my computer. <laughs> I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. With me. And, and Linda, you had mentioned that they're uh, uh, being poured out as a drink offering. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that Christ was poured out, that now Paul also is that in that way being poured out um, as an offering for, for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Paul was amazing in his personality. He wanted to be as Christ-like. I think of, mm-hmm. not that the other apostles didn't strive for that, but mm-hmm. I mean, that was his, mm-hmm. his whole being, his whole character, yeah. Yeah. because he had been on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it meant that much, so much to him, mm-hmm. that he just modeled everything he could, yeah. and as many times as he could equate those, uh, you know, the life of Christ with his own. Yeah. Just, wanted to exemplify that. Yeah. It's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So now he, he um, includes now, uh, starting in verse 19, a little bit about Timothy, and then we'll get to Epaphroditus as well. So now he says, starting at verse 19, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you as soon sorry, to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. And last week we had talked just a little bit about Timothy because Timothy is included in the greeting at the beginning of the letter. And so I just wanted to um, highlight a couple of the things we had kind of just briefly mentioned. But so Timothy was with Paul, we know, in Philippi, um, when we re- we read in Acts, he was with him in Thessalonica and Berea that we find in Acts 17. He was with him in Corinth and Ephesus, Acts 18 and 19, and then he, also in Rome, right? That we um, he that we can see in Colossians, and then here at the beginning of Philippians. So we know that that Timothy was with Paul in all of those places, and then he is associated in writing First and Second Thessalonians. 2 Corinthians, Colossians, and Philippians, um, and uh, in Romans, in the book of Romans, we see that he has sent greetings with Paul there at the end in chapter 16. So I just thought that was, you know, fun little facts that we had kind of mentioned briefly uh, that he was a part of a lot there with with Paul, and that Timothy really did do a lot of the traveling and a lot of the communicating. Um, But here, he tells us why Timothy has done those things with and for him. Verse 20, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. And that, there in that like-minded is a Greek word meaning having one soul. There is no one who understands, who feels the same way that I do, but Timothy. So for him to come to you, it might as well be me because we have that same love for you. 21, all seek their own interests, um, not those of Jesus Christ. So Timothy is the one who cares about you and your interests, not, not those others, not those others. 
And then verse 22, but you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. And we can see by all of the references throughout scripture here in the New Testament, the places that he was with Paul, um, all the times that he wrote with Paul, communicating through and for Paul, um, there is that proven character and that likeness. Verse 23, therefore I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, referring to the court case that he is currently involved in. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. All right, so I, I have to figure out what's going to happen, but I have confidence it's going to turn out in my favor. I really, he's trusting that he is not, that this is not the end for him, uh, where he finds himself currently in Rome. So he is hoping to come soon. Um, yeah, great. So then he, then he starts to talk about Epaphroditus. But I considered it necessary. So he's going to send Timothy. He's planning to come soon. But he considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus means charming. Right? <laughs> means charming. Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. So those are all important things. His brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Um, messenger there is the word for apostle. So Paul is including him in, in, in how Paul is referred to as an apostle and, and others, right? So that's giving him this, this a, a higher um, standard, a higher understanding of who Epaphroditus is, who he sees him to be, and also minister. Um, and their minister would be more of a servant, so he is giving him the same titles that he has claimed for himself, right? Paul, the, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now he's just told them that they need to take on and be like-minded like Christ, taking on that very nature of a servant, just as Paul has said again and again, you know, I, everything I have, I count as lost. I am nothing. I am, um, you know, I am that servant as well. So now Epaphroditus as well is apostle and servant. And Linda, just like you had mentioned earlier, um, now I'm not, oh, about humility. So, so the fact that they sent Epaphroditus, they didn't just send him to go take a message and come back. They sent him so that he would remain with Paul and care for his needs. Right. And so for him to return, there is a sense of this almost humiliation. Why is he being sent back? Did he not fulfill his job? Is he not one that can be trusted? And Paul is saying there, but it is necessary for me to send him back to you because he is not only my brother and my co-worker and my fellow soldier, he is also apostle and servant, just as I am. Yeah. And I think, well, the footnotes, I hope, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, the footnotes that I have, and then from another Bible too, 
um, that he had been, in other words, Timothy was held up as a model of service, uh-huh. but Paul was a model, I mean, uh, Epaphroditus as a model of suffering because he mm-hmm. was ill and, like, he yeah, said, he well, back yeah, well, and, and, you know, things like that. But I found out, too, that he was a layman in the church at Philippi. Was that his home church? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically, he's being set back as a leader, a lay leader in his mm-hmm. in his own church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What were your thoughts? There? I was I was thinking too. Was it necessary for him also to send him back because he had been so ill? That it's it's quite yeah, possible. Yeah. That's right. yeah. You kind of touched upon that. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that he was sending him because he was an apostle and. But he had been so ill, near death. Right. Could that have been a possibility? And his home church could maybe help him mm-hmm. regain some strength. Yeah. Yeah. So there in 26 then, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Um, you know, so there's a longing to let them know that he's he's not failed them. He's okay, even in their distress, that somehow this this was not a good fit maybe, or just for his own life. Um, so he's longing to be able to communicate to them that he is okay. Um, instead, right, 27, or sorry, indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have to sorrow, have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. <laughs> Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So, so there, Paul is saying, now listen, folks, you need to rejoice that he is coming to you. Don't let anything hinder you from loving him, right? Going back to that first Corinthians 13 love in, in verse seven, that we would be eager to believe the best of others. Don't, don't doubt why he is returning to you. Believe the best that he has done what he what you sent him to do, that he has come close to death and has survived, and so rejoice. Be filled with joy as you receive him and love him. Um, and that he had done that that the work he had done had brought him close to losing his life, and that that in itself is something to rejoice in. His faithfulness that he would even risk, risk his own very life. I, I saw, too, where they're right at the end. Um, I, feel, I find like it, it's a, it's kind of a, I don't know, troubling, confusing, <laughs> their little last phrase there, um, uh, risking his life to make up for what was lacking in your ministry to me didn't they just send him like all of this money and this person and food to care for him? What part of their ministry would have been lacking, right? Um, for and, and in the NIV, for the help you yourselves could not give me, what could they not give him? 
Um, but the, my commentary said it was their unity, right? Their unity that Paul has talked all about how their need to have unity and that that was what was missing. That the unity that he had just talked about was what they were lacking. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I can, I can see that. Yeah. Because he talks about unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning. Yeah, and mine, mine refers back to 1 Corinthians 16, 17, where it says when these other people arrive, they have supplies that was lacking from you also. So mm. maybe it's supplies. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. they just weren't being able to send all those type of yeah. right. physical things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Right. Yep. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Words, that's one thing. <laughs> he didn't just build you up just for the fun of it. I mean, he leveled the playing ground. So that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> that's oh. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Paul really, you know, the there's that whole, you know, how do you give, how do you have joy? By giving joy. There's this, there's this whole kind of theme in this chapter, especially of what is it that you... What is it that you're able to do that keeps that joy, you know, that joy tank full? <laughs> yeah, we get into conversations and just throw out what what is joy to you, mm -hmm. and people have a it's a very difficult thing to answer. Mm -hmm. um, people say you're being happy, you're mm -hmm. satisfied, you're this and that, and yet it doesn't go back to what joy truly is. Alan mm -hmm. spoke a little bit about that yesterday too, you know, it just takes its form in different ways in your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. And what is joyful one day, maybe something else will be, even, I mean, it's, I think the greatest joy publicly consistently for true believers is the reassurance and grace of Christ mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, and blessings of God. That's, that's the true ultimate joy. But our day-to-day -day joys are interactions with others and, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right in the Old Testament, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yeah. Um, where does it come from? It comes from acknowledging God. It comes from acknowledging there in, in verse chapter 1, verse 3, giving thanks to God and constantly in prayer. That's where our joy is found. That when we, when we are allowing ourselves to to be rooted and grounded in thanksgiving and prayer. Our joy just can't can't be stopped. I've always done with kids joy, Jesus, others, yourself. Mm. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep, and that yeah, that's the and the, and that's what he's telling us, right? <laughs> joy is it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. How are you making my joy complete? By being like-minded, by caring for others before yourselves, by thinking of others. Yeah. In a former life, uh, I taught that I was out of teaching for about five years back in Altoona. 
And I went back to teach it. I came to the area, but I worked as a psychiatric caseworker in the mm -hmm. mental health center and with uh, some of our patients uh, that we could get out or were just coming for therapy and maybe had been residential but had left and established themselves. One of the big things we did was to get them involved in a service project. And so there was uh, a children's home nearby, there were other places like that, and they would have to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, one housed a lot of handicapped kids. Of course, they were well supervised. Sure. There was people around all the time. <laughs> but they were taught to clean up and to feed and to just, and that is so humbling. Yeah. And that probably was better than any of the sessions that they had with myself or with the psychiatrist or any of the medications or anything. Sure. That humbling of the spirit that came out totally different because they had given themselves unselfishly. And at first they didn't want to do it, but like, oh man, I'm not touching. But once they got involved and looked those helpless individuals in the eye, that changed the world. Mm -hmm. Just changed the world. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful, I was, uh, that was one of the best things that, because that happened in a, a hospital set. That doesn't always happen in a correctional type of sure. situation, but it did that back in the day. So, yeah. But that's where the joy comes from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I always like to, as I get older too, I like to take this and put it into today's, what does it mean, what's going on in the world today? And you read some of this and you think, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. you know, he's speaking to us today. Mm -hmm. The unity, and the, uh, the Yeah, and uh, yeah. being around uh, people who are destructive and so forth and so on. But then I always think back to being a missionary, thinking mm -hmm. of over the years, how many missionaries gave their lives yes. for Christ. Yes. And uh, fortunately, I never ran into that, but uh, I knew of situations. And uh, But to go through the history and how he was imprisoned. Yes. He was a missionary. He traveled to no, God only knows where. Mm -hmm. And some of us have been sent to Africa, to China, to wherever. Mm -hmm. And uh, their life, some of them were given for the love of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it's, I like to bring it today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it's, right. and the Bible speaks to me today yeah. what's, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, it reassures me too, in as much as you hear people talking about the persecution that they feel or that they're perceiving, that we you know we're not there yet <laughs> we're not there yet we have we have yet to experience anything close to the persecution that is talked of in scripture or that is experienced anywhere else in this world anywhere in this world the number of you know um there's a great course called perspectives in world christian Out outreach um and the incredible stories of the people groups that have yet to be reached. The number of languages that we still do not have any written form of that exist in our world today. It's, it's incredible. You know, for us here in this country, we just think, well, it's right here. What do you mean? How do you not have? 
How, how are there people that we do not know exist? <laughs> we have a lot of grumbling in, in the churches and amongst the churches. It upsets me because basically we're spoiled Christians. Like you said, we have not had to work mm -hmm. to maintain. I mean, I grew up with the ability to attend the church and to be baptized and to speak my mind and my faith. But like you said, there are pockets in this world either that don't know Christ mm -hmm. and nobody's been able to really communicate with them mm -hmm. or that are you know, in secret. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's yeah. just, it's that. So we have, I think, we know what it's like to really fight the fight. <laughs> and because we are, we're, we're spoiled. Our, our faith is, not our faith, but our religion or ability to, to serve God has been there all along for us, and we don't have to hide that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, there, going back to what you said, that we have not been persecuted as Paul was and so forth, I, I kind of disagree in a way because, again, I think of the, back in the um, early, late 40s and early 50s, the Chinese missionaries were persecuted terribly. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Billy Graham's parents were mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. he was mm -hmm. there, uh, the Bells, uh, Ruth's family was there, and we, they finally were able to get out of China, and they came to Korea being so close, mm -hmm. and we called them the China Fleas. Because, <laughs> oh, they knew that, they knew yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, they had been persecuted, and I'm oh, sure I'm their sure. brother, Oh, yeah. Awfully, awfully oh, yes. persecuted as being Christians and how they all mm -hmm. had to go underground. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I oh, absolutely. have seen that. Absolutely. You know, no, I yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I think I was referring more to like within the last nine months. Okay. And yeah. I've heard people say that that when churches closed their doors and weren't having in person worship due to COVID 19, that, that, that we were being persecuted. And I thought, oh, I use that word. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's a word that should be used flippantly. Yeah. 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 You know. Because they because we weren't we weren't being forced underground. Yeah. Our lives like we there were not bombings yeah. happening on churches. Sure. Meet yeah. in a building, but that didn't stop us from meeting. Yes. In other way. Yeah. Yes, we were we were, we were fully free, free to, to meet in any other way. way. Yeah. It was just please don't meet in a large group in a confined space. And so that when I hear persecution, yeah. Yeah. and it was for that, the benefit of others. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But oh my goodness, our missionaries persecuted. Wow. And and it's and it's incredible to just I mean I, I absolutely absolutely yeah yes so brave to go to some yeah. of these places as you said that we didn't even know existed right and they went in and, and tried to do work and uh, I'm not that brave I, you know I'm sorry I I'll admit that I. I was, I've never been a missionary anywhere, but I went to, when I was in seminary, I was able to go on a trip to Egypt and we went to Cairo and a few other places, Alexandria, but, but we went to Cairo specifically because there was an evangelical, uh, seminary there. And so one of my professors was teaching a class for a few weeks. So we got to go for two of those three weeks and, um, we, 
had in our suitcases some books that were then added to a library. But that was enough to be uneasy about what I had that would bring me, that would potentially um, cause someone to say, you're being thrown in prison. You can't do that here. Uh, you know, because there are things that couldn't be sent in the mail. That was a little, <laughs> and that's enough. I can't imagine going and living in another country knowing that people, if they knew my faith, if they knew that I had a desire for others to, that to share and evangelize in any way, that my life would be threatened in that, to that extreme. Yeah, that's a lot. You're over tonight with Sean, yeah. the dogs, whatever. Uh, I'm reading a, a great book. It's called Silence. Apparently it was made into a movie years ago by Martin Scorsese. He has read and reread and reread this book. It has to do, it's written by a Japanese. Okay. But it has to do with the Catholic, Portuguese, most of them, Catholic uh, missionaries, priests, that went as missionaries and risked their lives in Japan. Japan, totally different philosophy than China, and you know this, Betty, and way back, this is in the 1700s. Okay, oh. With the samurais and the yeah, warlords sure, and everything. Sure. The torture, you know, you can't, and how they risk, and how the little pockets uh, of the little Japanese villages, and how, what they went through and risked their lives, mm -hmm. and had nothing, literally, they would chew grass to live, I mean, and it, it w it's fascinating. I mean, it, it, it ups I can't read it before I go to bed because I just, it just ooh, to know that this actually happened. Yeah. And because the Japanese culture is so closed and so different, their whole belief system was so different. Mm -hmm. And it was, it spoke exactly as what you were talking about. I mean, mm -hmm. there was persecution. I mean, unbelievably what those uh, Catholic fathers did. And some weren't even persecuted, some were just slaughtered. Oh, exactly, and then, but the way they were slaughtered, they were, it they wasn't were, just, I'm gonna kill, no, they drug it out. There was a family that was in Montreal when I was God. being trained to go to Korea, oh. and this family was going to the Congo, mm -hmm. and Congo doesn't, I don't know what the name of it is uh -huh. now, but uh, a beautiful family was going to the Congo, and um, they were slaughtered. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, they did, they weren't persecuted. They they yeah. they were gone, and the way that they do it is is just a, just I can't even comprehend that. It, it talks about the different forms of torture that they would, in other words, they would make sure that the, the Catholic fathers, you know, paid for the, and they constantly they wanted them to renounce Christ, mm -hmm. right? And you know, if they could get them to renounce mm -hmm. apostasize, what is the word I want to use? But they constantly wanted them to renounce Christ or step on the picture of Christ or, or spit on it or do something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's and they would pay informants uh, pieces of silver. Talk about a Judas thing. Mm -hmm. They would pay informants and spies mm -hmm. because these people were so poor. These villagers and some would just they would if they knew that uh, there was a father. Yeah. Uh, and usually they they hid the Catholic priests. Uh, they tried to travel the Catholic in, in teams because it helped to have a team, you know, team approach. But they would live in these uh, these huts and literally be taken away so that if there was a baptism or to hear a confession, something like that, 
the villagers would come to that hut in secret because you couldn't be followed. I mean, it's just, oh my gosh, uh, it's just hard to believe, hard to believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just realized I could turn the volume down. <laughs> so the dings wouldn't be so loud. <laughs> but, well, we are to go forth in joy. We are to be full of joy and to receive others in joy with that same love and to even be a Timothy or an Epaphroditus. Um, one way to have joy is to give joy, right? To offer that joy. So, ah, oh, chapter two, good stuff. <laughs> I'm out. Yes, yes. So next week, we'll work on chapter three and oh, go from there. Well, let's pray. Holy Lord, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for our discussion. I thank you for the way you have lifted things within our hearts and our minds that um, just remind us of your goodness, remind us of what it is to live our life for you, that it is, it is not about uniformity, but it is about being united and having the like mind as Christ. So, Lord, we thank you that in our unity we have uh, our own personality, our own way of understanding, our own unique uh, relationship with you. But we pray, Lord, that you would indeed draw us together through Christ that you would, by your Holy Spirit, show us and enable us to love in a way that is nothing like this world. Just as you give peace that cannot be found in this world, we know that your joy and your love are also not defined by this world. So we will continue to seek after you, and we will continue to uh, lean on that grace that allows us to be changed and renewed so that we might be even more like you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. Again, this is Pastor Ty, the Associate Pastor here at Chippewa United Methodist Church, and we hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you don't miss out on next week's study. And you can find us at Chippewa United Methodist Church on Facebook, Vimeo, SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We'll talk to you soon.